wonderful morning together. The sun's shining. We've had a wonderful time worshiping together about the eternal Son of God. My heart's been encouraged. I know yours has been as well. So let's look into his book, 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. You say, that doesn't sound like the book of Job. It's because it's not. We're going to take a week here. And um, we took a straw vote in the office this week. Do you continue with Job on Mother's Day or do you preach a sermon to godly ladies? And my heart voted for preaching a sermon to godly ladies of whom our auditorium is full of those this morning. But I will tell you this, like between now and next Sunday, if you would just take uh, about an hour and uh, read through Job 4, chapter 4 through chapter 14, we're going to be covering all of those chapters next week uh, in the morning service. We're going to be covering chunks of Job from here on out. When we get to the end, we'll slow back down and cover smaller um, pieces, but for Sunday morning next week, Job's chapter, Job chapter 4 through, through 14. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible to follow along with this morning, our ushers would have one for you. If you just slip up your hand, if you need one to follow along, they'll find you uh, as we begin to read here uh, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy in the third verse. Paul says to Timothy, who's pastoring the church of Ephesus at this time, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. So as Timothy is written to here by Paul, Paul is saying he loves to remember, he loves to pray, and he longs to see Timothy but until then, here's a truth deposit that I would like to give to you as you shepherd the church of Ephesus. Now, after verses 3 and 4, you're going to see the word for mentioned three times. The first one is the beginning of verse 5, and the next one at the beginning of verse 6, and the next one at the beginning of verse 7. There's three uh, simple things here that he would like to point out to each of us this morning by way of clarifying his words in introduction. He says here, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. There's the second four. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you, through the laying out of my hands, and the third and final four, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. So Paul tells Timothy here that he remembers. He says, I'm mindful. That's what that word means. It's easy for Paul to reflect, recollect, to remember that Timothy's Grandmother and mom had a sincere faith. Your translation might say unfeigned faith. And that word sincere we'll look at in just a little bit. 
But he's confident here that Timothy had the same. So there's three generations of sincere faith just in that one verse. Timothy is also encouraged here in the second four to continue to take that spiritual gift that he's been given the moment he was born again and confirmed by the flock of God and continue to fan the flame of that gift. Now apparently his ability to develop his spiritual gift was directly connected to the modeling of doing the same by his grandmother and his mother. And I think the word for here connects these thoughts for us all today. So Timothy, you've certainly got the pastor-teacher gift. I think that's the gift Paul's talking about here. Hey, as your mom and grandmother fanned the flame of their gift and they utilized it to encourage the body, uh, Timothy, make sure you're doing the same as you shepherd the flock at Ephesus. And then he says here, uh, always remember uh, not to be timid, but to rely on the ability of God and not your own as you do the work of the ministry there and do so with clear thinking. But what I'd like to do this morning is just focus on three realities from the first four word here in verse number five. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you that was also found in your grandmother and mother. Let's stick with that verse and in particularly in particular, let's focus on what sincere faith is and how did Timothy demonstrate or live out sincere faith as a result of his grandmother and mother doing the same. So we're going to look at, since we can't separate the two, they're organically connected here together. Uh, there was a grandmother and mother that modeled what sincere faith was to Timothy, and Timothy was able to reciprocate the doing of the same in his own life. So we're going to look at three particular virtues this morning in relationship to what that is. What does the word sincere mean here? Now, uh, in the Greek language, it's adupokritos, and all that simply means it's unhypocritical. It's unhypocritical. How we hear that might be a little bit different than how the first century believer heard it in Ephesus. So I'm going to clarify a little bit what it meant to have an unhypocritical faith in this time. Certainly it means to be genuine and sincere. But for them, they would have heard it as not being a showy faith. Not not being a show-off faith. Not a woman who wanted to be seen and wanted to be as we would know it, maybe a social media influencer. So it wasn't a showy faith. It wasn't a, it wasn't a faith of pretense. And the third virtue of having an unfeigned or sincere faith was they were very, very capable of demonstrating practical love to the flock. Non-showy, without pretense, and very capable of showing practical love to the flock. This is the, this is the genuine faith that Timothy learned from two godly ladies in his life. Where did it all begin? It began in his home. In his home. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16 tells us that from a child, Timothy knew the scriptures well that made him wise unto salvation. Same letter 
couple pages over. It all began at his home. He grew up in Lystra. From infancy, he was taught the Holy Scriptures. He most likely heard Paul preach because his mother and his grandmother probably took him to church, so to speak, to hear him preach in his youth. By his late teens, after Timothy had become born again, he began to build up quite a testimony in his town and in the region around his hometown of Lystra, so much so that Paul was encouraged to take Timothy with him on his missionary journey uh, when he and Silas had come to town. From his childhood to his ministry with Paul for 18 years, to Timothy's first and only pastorate in the church of Ephesus that he's pastoring when Paul writes to him here, he served the Lord until his late 70s, where he most likely lost his life through martyrdom under the reign of Domitian. Historians tell us that Timothy had grown up from a more timid young boy and pastor to a more bold, wise old sage. Fox's Book of Martyrs details that Timothy, um, in his late 70s, had become bold enough to actually confront a pagan parade that was marching through the streets of Ephesus. And he confronted the, the religious paganism there with the truth of the gospel And history tells us that the crowd and those participating in the parade fell on him and clubbed him to death in his late 70s. But from his conversion as a child until his death as a martyr in his late 70s, Timothy was faithful, promoting the gospel and standing for what was right. And he was able to do so because he had two really wonderful mentors. So what were the virtues of his faith that is also called genuine? Well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, for over seven decades of his life, he faithfully served the Lord. And in all of my study of the life of Timothy, I genuine faith recorded in the New Testament of this man's life. You say, Pastor Tim, you've got to be done preaching in 15 minutes. How are you going to cover 70 virtues in 15 minutes? I'm only going to cover three, okay? But as you read the scriptures, I think you'll find the same, that the demonstration of genuine faith is modeled by his grandmother and his mother and then lived by Timothy is is easily recognized in a plain, simple reading of the scriptures about Timothy's life. The first one I'd like to have us all realize this morning, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, so every one of us can learn from these this morning. I want us to value the respect these ladies earned from Timothy. I want us to value the respect that these ladies had earned from Timothy. He was certainly familiar with Solomon's words in Proverbs regarding a wise son listening to the counsel of his mother. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8, all of Proverbs sounds forth the wisdom of children listening um, to their mother's wisdom. Hear my son your father's instruction and, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a 
graceful wreath around your head and ornaments about your neck. And Solomon says in chapter 6 and verse 20, observe the commandment of your father and don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck, and when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. He goes on to say in chapter 23 and verse 22, do not despise your mother even when she's old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. <clears throat> Timothy allowed the Holy Spirit to develop in him a deep reverence for the work God was doing in and through these two dear ladies in his life, but they lived faithfully and they earned Timothy's respect spiritually. He was certainly submissive to his mom's desire to have him hear the word of God publicly preached. He didn't have a believing father. As a matter of fact, we're not completely sure Timothy's dad is even living when Paul meets him in Acts chapter 14. So he's being reared in a single parent home with the help of a grandma. Timothy also would have been bullied probably on the playground of his local school or in his school of learning because his dad was Greek and his mommy was Jewish. And we're still in the early parts of the first century of the New Testament church where many would have considered it unclean for his Jewish mom to marry a Greek father. But now his daddy's dead. And there's nothing he can do to rectify or to explain anything. And the influence of Timothy's grandmother and mother is pretty stout. It's pretty clear here that he's able to continue to model in his own life as a young boy and growing up and to be a young man and then a minister of the gospel, unfeigned or genuine faith regardless of his sociological status in the community. He made it through. Okay. Sociologists also teach us that moms do about 80% of the child ring. And all of you moms want to shout amen to that. And you should, because you do. Right? It certainly was true in Timothy's life. Well, he was 100%, most likely, from his adolescence. To adulthood. But Timothy knew Christ from his childhood and he valued Christ in a large part because he valued what Christ was doing through his mother and his grandmother. So Timothy's a third generation believer that we know of that could stand proud of the fact that when his mother died, she died proud of him because he lived Christ. Friends, if your mom knows Christ and walks with him, you must learn from her. No mother in Christ would ever claim perfection. As a matter of fact, godly moms rarely feel confident that they ever have anything to teach others. But my friends, that sweet humility is exactly the reason why we need to sit at their feet and learn from them. The ladies in Timothy's life allowed Christ to be formed, as Paul says in the book of Galatians, allowed Christ to be formed in their hearts and in their lives. And 
Timothy was an eyewitness of that work of grace and chose to do the same. The modeling of Christ's likeness of women in our lives becomes a keystone to the growth of each one of us. If you have a godly lady in your life, carve out time to sit at her feet and to learn from her. Develop a pattern of consistent fellowship with her and learn what Christ has taught and is teaching her. The most formative moments of my life outside my own personal time spent with my Lord were moments spent with my grandmother and my mother. I, like Timothy, heard the scriptures from childhood that made me wise into salvation as a little boy. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm eternally grateful for that in my life. I realize not many of you in the auditorium had that same privilege that Timothy of the scriptures had or or that I had. But I cherish my grandmother and my mother. I really can't explain how or why, but by the grace of God, I was compelled with the Spirit of God to sit at their feet and to learn from both of them. I then had the privilege of watching them live their lives during very difficult and very joyful times. I saw them both serve the Lord with gladness. I saw them love the people of God very practically and their families too. Their lives challenged me to serve the Lord. They made serving the Lord with gladness an exciting possibility for me and then a probability to a reality. Young people, Pastor Kent, Steve, and Mike, all had godly women rear them as well. Consider the influence these ladies had on them by how they served the Lord with gladness before you and among you today. God gives us people that are spirit-filled, that have learned Christ from others, who live Christ before us for our learning. So that serving the Lord goes from probability to reality for second, third, and even fourth generation believers. There's messaging out there today that promotes be your truth, be your own person, you develop you, you do you, and friends, the scripture knows nothing of this thinking apart from learning God's truth from godly people in our lives and allowing that to be the formational molding of your soul. Timothy becoming Timothy was clearly tied to what, why, how, and where he learned Christ from Lois and Eunice. It just was. You can't separate that. So can I learn Christ without this? I am connected to thousands of Christian platforms on here. Millions of pamphlets, articles, volumes of Christ-like material. That's available to my eyeballs on there, right? On here. I've got a library full of books 
Is it possible to be developed to be a sincere, genuine person of faith just by watching how Christ is formed in the hearts of the people sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you? Is it or not? It is. It is. By the volume, the book, by the demonstration of the Spirit of God working in you and through you and among us, it was enough for Timothy. Can I be that simple? I think that's where it's most powerful. We're thankful for all the resources that we have. But sometimes we have so many resources here and here. We're distracted exclusively unto them at the expense of our primary focus on being what Christ is doing through each one of us. I think there's some really practical application for us in our own ecclesiology, the study of the church. Sufficiency of Christ in his word by the Spirit of God, just, just in his church. Christ is enough and through us to be formational as to our salvation the development of our character, then the integrity of our ministry. Any teaching, Christian by name or not, that peels you away from godly ladies or godly influences inside your local church, peels you away, remaining primary instructors in your life is a Pied Piper playing sweet music of deception that's only leading you into the dark woods of life destruction. The wicked one loathes the sincere instruction of Lois and Eunice. The wicked one hates genuine faith put on display for you of others inside this church, particularly if you have a godly mother and grandmother. He'll put his crosshairs on that relationship in your life for sure. Some of us have allowed those relationships to be tarnished and set aside, but today we're reminded to go grab those necessary relationships back and learn what being truly life-saving really is. Life-sustaining virtue from these sweet saints. The unfeigned faith Timothy learned from them was not flashy, Lois and Eunice were most likely quite simple ladies in the church there in Lystra. But in their simplicity, again, they were transformational women within the influence that God had given them right there in their local church. Ladies, every one of you have younger ones to influence. In our context of this church, allow them to see Christ being formed in you, both in your homes first and then in your ministry among the church family. Let them see faith unfeigned, genuine faith, not showy, without pretense, and focused on practically loving the people of God. This is the virtuous life that garnered the respect of Timothy. Let's look at the second thing real quickly here that we should take notice. 
uh, we should take notice of the revolutionary way in which these ladies led. The revolutionary way in which these ladies led, which led Timothy to do the same. It was within Timothy's generation where ladies were actually called disciples for the first time in history. About 500 years before Christ, the followers of the philosophers had a name. They were called mathetes or disciples. You couldn't be a disciple, a follower of a philosopher, and be a woman. Later, rabbis had followers, and likewise, these could not be women either. With Christ's work on earth complete and the church now a reality for the first time in religious or philosophical circles in history, women could be called genuine followers. But here, disciples. Tabitha was the first woman in history in Acts chapter 9 to be called a disciple. And now Lois and Eunice are women of genuine faith as followers of Christ. They owned their placement into Christ as his disciples and were able to have their own biological son in the faith be their first disciple. They modeled disciple making so much so that Timothy would know to do the same as he became a follower of Paul and then a leader of the next three generations of believers at the church of Ephesus because 2 Timothy 2.2, as Paul writes to Timothy, you want to jump over a chapter there, he, Paul tells Timothy, these things which you have heard from me, generation one, in the presence of many witnesses, generation number two, and trust these to faithful men, generation number three, who will be able to teach others also, generation number four. As we unfold the revolutionary way in which these ladies in Timothy's life influenced him, we must know that for the first generation in human history, these women were foundational and formational to six generations of spiritual influence and gospel progress. They were indeed the greatest generation. Their profoundly simple, reverent, serving, prayerful, and loving lifestyles in Lystra were the gospel seedlings that planted the known world as we know it at that time with the gospel. Revolutionary women of influence today, this must be your legacy too. If God can take five loaves and two small fish and tear each apart to feed over 10,000 hungry mouths on a hillside for lunch... He can certainly embrace your seemingly small and by the world-defined insignificant life and cultivate your genuine unfading faith to seed regions in the world for the gospel, ladies. Elizabeth Elliot said, there is nothing worth living for unless it's worth dying for. You can never lose what you have offered to Christ. Lois and Eunice understood that. This is revolutionary faith for any believer. Have genuine faith in the spread of the gospel, not flashy, no pretense, simply faithful, deeply prayerful, love for the people of God within your proximity unto Christ's likeness. Allow God to break the bread of your obedience, our obedience unto the spread of the gospel throughout 
the world. This is the commission of the church, my friends. This is how it's formed here so the gospel can go there. There's no other organization on the earth that we're given great commission marching orders to. No parachurch, no Christian institution. God gave it to the church. He gave it to you and to me. And we need to bring ourselves back from all that is complexity out there and squeeze our minds and hearts back into the simplicity of what God the Spirit can do to break the bread of your obedience in these simple ways for the gospel's sake. And you'll understand what it means to be revolutionary in a simple way in the 21st century. Let God do what Jesus said only he could do, which is build his church. We can't do that. Jesus does through your obedience right here in these ways. And it is sustainable for multiple generations. I fear if we're not careful, the, the pace of our lives and the pursuit of our goals and visions will leave hungry souls right underneath our noses, spiritually famished for genuine people of faith, therefore leaving the progress of the gospel paralyzed for the next generation. Enjoy being eyewitnesses of the genuine faith of mothers and grandmothers among us that may not even be yours. In the 21st century, they remain modern revolutionaries of genuine faith, just as Lois and Eunice remain to this day. So they had earned Timothy's respect, these godly ladies, and they had demonstrated what it meant to be simply revolutionary. And we close this morning with this third thought. Let's notice the reverent way that Timothy had learned to care for the flock from these two ladies. Let's remember that the word unfeigned that describes these ladies' faith does mean, too, that they love the flock. They would have modeled for Timothy how to care for the physical and spiritual well-being of the flock in Lystra. And then Timothy did the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul writes this, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, church of Corinth, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, Paul said the same thing of Timothy to the Philippian church. He said, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. If you understand that word welfare, it's not just spiritual, it's also practical. It's their physical and their financial needs. Timothy knew before he learned it from Paul, as he walked with Paul for 18 years, what it was like to practically care for the church and love the church. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 10, Paul writes this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? 
as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. We read that quickly. But you may have noticed three virtues of the Thessalonians that Timothy reported to Paul that were of great reciprocal value to the flock in that church. They overcame persecution together. Personal affliction together. And they learned doctrinal conviction together. They learned to stand firm. Timothy was able to take the pulse of the church in Thessalonica and return every good report to Paul because he had learned the value of the same from his spiritual progeny. It had been modeled for him as a child and as a youth and as a young man. It had been reaffirmed by the Apostle Paul for 18 years. And so when Paul would send him out as an emissary to these churches to take a pulse on how they were doing, it was simple for Timothy to really focus on that which was really important, to be able to identify that which was truly spiritual in that church as to the practical way these folks loved each other and cared for each other and report that back to Paul as good news. This is how that flock loved. This is what Timothy noticed as he had modeled, had it modeled for him from his mother and grandmother. This is properly apportioned reverence for our day as well. Ladies genuinely interested in the care of the flock as the flock remains the body with the message of Christ to take to the world. Lois and Eunice knew well the flock needed to be loved very practically so it could be healthy so it could be in turn sustained under gospel influence ladies I've watched I've been eyewitness to thousands of things with my own eyes and the way in which you've loved the flock here at Grace and I know that there are millions more unseen by man and only noted by God. But your ability to love this flock, though it seems so simple and mundane unto practical matters, has eternal significance. Please, ladies, never allow can I say this, the mothering of the flock, whether you have children or not, don't allow the mothering of the flock to ever become just simple, mundane, go through the motions, care. As you love, that is a demonstration. As you love practically, that is a demonstration of genuine faith that nurtures the flock so it can stay healthy, so that it can take the gospel to the world. May the gospel effervesce from this place in a genuine, unfeigned way until Christ comes through the influence of godly women at Grace Church of Mentor. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we thank you for the respect that these dear ladies garnered from Timothy. We thank you for the way in which he modeled their revolutionary simple obedience. We're so thankful, Lord, for the reverence that they had for the flock in relationship to how the flock was cared for. We pray, Lord, that all of us seated here this morning as we conclude this worship hour together would be instructed of the Spirit of God to the significance of the simplicity of these dear ladies unto the spread of the gospel in our area, throughout our nation, and throughout our world, right here at Grace Church of Mentor, as we seek to network with other like-minded, healthy churches and the gospel progress as well. Thank you, Lord. Right now, uh, Lord, my uh, Verna Hartline and Judy Potter stand before your presence and worship you. Their influence lives on in our time here. But Lord, we all have the privilege when we open up our eyes after this prayer time to look and immediately see women of genuine faith. May we seek to learn how Christ has been formed in their lives unto unfeigned faith. So long as you give us life and breath here, and the gospel purposes in Jesus' name.